Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Anirudh Singh. Our guest today is Yan Wu, co-founder of Bond Financial Technologies, a banking-as-a-service platform that has raised over $42 million. Bond seeks to allow any brand to embed financial products to improve their customers' experience. Prior to FinTech, Jan spent 15 years in the investment industry, most notably at BlackRock, where he was the head of analytics and portfolio construction in BlackRock's $400 billion quantitative investment group. Jan earned an MBA from Wharton and a BS in engineering from UC Berkeley. Jan and I discuss his career journey, Bond's origin story, managing and fundraising during the pandemic, and more. Enjoy the show. Hey, Jan, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. Uh, so excited to have you on the show today. How are you doing? I'm good. Super excited to be here. Seeing a ton of amazing guests on this. So really, really be honored to be part of this uh, program. Yeah, we, we appreciate that. And excited to get you on that list. So let's just start things off at a high level here. You've had a very compelling career journey prior to joining Bond. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So my career, I think, and a lot of times I kind of made pivots and wondered whether or not things would work out, right? And when I came out of college, everybody was going into finance. I would major in engineering, but one of the biggest recruiting industries are recruited for engineers with financial services, right? And I took the path that a lot of my friends didn't take. I found it to be exciting and new. And that's where I spent the first part of my career. Most notably, I was uh, head of portfolio construction for one of the quant funds at BlackRock. My team used machine learning and, and data science to run about a $400 billion book. Subsequently, you know, I went to Manifold Partners. It was a machine learning-based investment firm. And I think following that, right, and transitioning out of that, I had sort of gotten my MBA at Wharton. I took some classes in entrepreneurship. I took some classes in technology. And I just thought, hey, what am I going to do with my career after this, after uh, investing? And this combination of my back technical background, financial services, plus learning about tech, I ended up joining SoFi as head of data. And you know, I think one of the things that I learned at SoFi was most fintechs are really, really good at in their marketing technology platforms. So whether their demand gen platform, whether it's their funnel conversion for their customers, it's really, really good. Where they have a lot of problems is when all of the things on the back end that they're trying to stitch together and make the, the financial experience, financial product experience work is where they run into a lot of issues. And I saw just more and more when we were launching seven products in the span of three years at SoFi that um, the pieces of software they used to put financial products together for a digital banking experience just wasn't there, right? All of these pieces of technology are more or less built for someone working at a bank to use or someone working, consuming it from a bank. And so this idea of Bond started to materialize where developers of modern tech companies can come to Bond, they can, they're empowered with modern tools that fit their needs that allow them to build embedded banking solutions. And so it's a super exciting thing for us, all of us here at Bond. And I think it's going to be the wave of the future in terms of how financial products are consumed. That's awesome. Very fascinating. Can you talk a little bit more about how you and Roy came to meet Michael Gilroy and kind of get Bond started? Love to hear the origin story. Absolutely. So my co-founder, Roy Ng, and I, we, we went to college together over at uh, UC Berkeley. I'd always was was very impressed by his career, always kind of watched him. We had very analogous careers. So he went into investment banking. I went into investment management. He went to Goldman. I went to BlackRock. He transitioned into tech. I transitioned to fintech. And so, you know, we had this parallel career and I was always impressed with things that he was doing. When he 
left his CEO role at Twilio, and then he was a CEO at, at Mapbox. But I think he began looking around at developer platforms for different audiences, right? Taking his experience in, fit, in developer platforms and applying it into industries that are ripe for disruption. And so he had met, come across uh, Michael Gilroy. Michael Gilroy is a very, very active investor at uh, KOTU about hypothetically just um, incubating this idea of a developer-oriented financial services platform where we can enable the tech community to consume financial products. And then they started talking about it. Roy had brought me into the conversation. We sat down at the table. We talked about this idea. Two minutes into the idea, I was sold. I had just gone through launching seven products in the span of less than three years. And if something like this existed, it would have saved us a lot of time, a lot of money. It got us to market much, much faster. Nice. That's fantastic. Any major learnings between BlackRock and and SoFi that you think uh, helped Bond become such a big success so quickly? It's a great question. Great, great question. I would sort of point to Steve Jobs who says, you know, the dots only connect when you look backwards. I had no idea at the time my background in capital markets from working at BlackRock would be truly like really, really helpful now that we're building financial technology for financial products. I had no idea that my machine learning that I learned, you know, my prior life became the backbone of models that we used as SoFi for underwriting and, and marketing and uh, risk and pricing, right? And I think it's these things in terms of how we take our individual paths and mold it into something that's truly exemplary for our future, right? And I think that's, so the folks who are listening who are getting their MBAs and stuff right now, right? I think it's, yes, like making career changes, a model for that, right? Doing something new, a model for that. You know, I think taking what's special about your background, right? And what you learn and what's truly, truly unique about you, Right. And using that as something that's going to help you accelerate your future as an advantage is something that I would consider a thing for everyone to consider. You know, hopefully students listening that aren't quite sure about what's next can take that as inspiration. Switching back to Bond, there are a couple parts of Bond's vision that really stood out to me, namely the idea that all brands can become fintechs and the goal to accelerate financial innovation and inclusion. We'd love to hear some of your thoughts around those two. Definitely, definitely. So, look, I think the first point about all brands will become fintechs. I really credit Michael Gilroy at Co2 for coming up with this quote. And I think the idea behind this is as follows. You go use any app that's out there. You open up your phone, right? And you browse through a bunch of things that you want. Let's say it's a food ordering app. And then you browse through everything. You bookmark it. You tag things. You send it to your friends. You share it. You do all the social. And then the point at which you actually make a transaction it says like, hey, enter your financial like information, right? Or like enter your personal like data, right? And it's a little bit disjointed. And we have to ask yourself why, right? Let's forget about cards. Let's forget about wallet. Let's forget about all this stuff, right? At the end of the day, you're putting in data and you're getting some response out of these apps, right? And I don't know about you, but the last time I walked into a bank, I didn't see gold bullions or like paper certificates or anything like that. Every single bank itself is basically a data center, right? So if you put those things together, right, it only makes sense that the transactional nature, financial product nature of any kind of product should be fully integrated with those experiences, right? So from my perspective, basically all brands are going to incorporate much more streamlessly financial services within the ecosystem. 
as far as like accelerating innovation and inclusion, I think it comes down to personalization, right? So let's say banking as a platform did not exist. Companies like Bond didn't exist, right? Somebody who is really good at understanding a certain population or a certain market segment would say, hey, this market segment needs this type of financial product. I know how to acquire those customers. I know how to do the segmentation. I know how to like calculate the cost per acquisition and LTV, so on and so forth. Then they go about building the actual financial product. And it takes them 100 people two years before they can even get the first MVP off the ground, right? And so right away, the time, the upfront costs and the fixed costs are just prohibitive for these customers to, or these customers to be served, right? And so from our perspective, the more ubiquitous financial services become through platforms such as Bond, the more personalization we can provide the market at more affordable cost. And that generally is going to lead to financial inclusion of people who didn't have access to financial products, right? And we find that to be just not only super exciting, but it's a huge motivator for us as a company. You said something there that reminded me of, of how quickly Bond is growing. So maybe we can chat about that a little bit. How has it been managing such a rapidly growing team? How has your role changed? Do you feel like it's become more defined, less defined? That's a great question. So Bond, we really started about a year and a half ago. And I think a year and a half ago is... Roy, myself, Michael sitting in a room. We subsequently raised two rounds, $42 million across our seed round in Series A. And uh, our team is ticking over 50 people. So, you know, I think when looking back, it's been extremely rewarding to see how fast we've grown. As far as building a startup goes, uh, I'm not going to sit here and lie to everyone about like, oh, this is exactly what I expected, right? This is the first company I, you know, been on the founding team of. And I think we learned a lot together throughout this process. I mean, I think one of the things that I learned is learning is about as much about forgetting what you've known in the past as it is about picking up new skills, right? And prior to starting Bond, my team at SoFi was coming up on 60, 70 people, right? And right now, the entire company is less than a fraction of that size. Mm -hmm. And so if I had taken the management principles and applied them here at Bond, I think we probably would not have done very well. And so constantly retooling yourself by forgetting kind of what you learned in the past and learning new skills for kind of what's the stage for the company and where they are right now, I think it's a skill that uh, we're constantly learning every single day. So that's been a super exciting part of the growth journey. And your seed round was raised just before the pandemic. Your series A round was raised, I believe, in July of 2020. So how did you notice like a big change in that process? Was it a lot harder to raise a second round just because the pandemic was happening? I think what I've realized is that the tech community is really good at adapting. So you're right. So we did announce our Series A back in July last year. And you know, that was a few months after the world shut down. If you recall, you know, when the world kind of shut down back in, I think, March, right? There was a lot of pessimism around sort of where startups are going to be, where VCs were going to be, we weren't quite sure where the industry is going, right? I think if you looked at sort of the subsequent uh, few months and beginning of this year, you've probably been following some of the publications, like the, this market is white hot right now in terms of companies being funded, new companies coming up and new rounds being raised. And I think what this has taught me is that this industry is really, really resilient. And it's all about finding new ways of doing things to add value, right? And so I've seen tremendous growth in terms of digital conferences and networking events, seen a lot of VCs create new opportunities for them to engage with uh, entrepreneurs. 
we've seen companies right pivot their entire business models to be much more digitally oriented. So I'm actually quite hopeful of kind of what the next few years are going to be as we come out of this pandemic. I think we're going to be in a much, much better position than we were prior. And I think it's super exciting to watch everyone adapt to the new normal. How did Bond go about changing its ways of working during the pandemic? So as someone who spent 15 years in the hedge fund industry and on Wall Street, I was one of the folks who always pounded my desk and saying, everybody's got to come to the office and show up and so on and so forth. And look, I had to adapt my thinking, right? I would say we really focus on our employees in terms of their happiness, their health, their mental sanity. And so we've done everything from give people stipends to build out their offices to mental health days where we are not allowed to be on Slack, on email or anything like that, right? I think it doesn't help when you're not working, but I am. So I load you up on emails and then you have anxiety, so on and so forth. And so we've done a lot of proactive things to make sure that our employees are in best like mental state. Because I think the thing that I think we all realize is everybody was more stressed. Everybody lost their support networks physically, right? And this interaction every single day of looking at 20 different pairs of eyeballs staring back at you in the screen, it's actually creates a lot of uh, anxiety, right? And so we've done a lot of things like that to proactively make sure, you know, we're trying to do everything we can to make our employees happy. And I think it's the testament to our team for creating all these uh, support networks so that we can truly have the best and most optimal team here in the fintech industry. I heard about the mental wellness days from one of your teammates, and I have to imagine that it both increases mental health and team productivity. I think it's a great idea and should be adopted by more companies. You know, I think it certainly worked for us. Amanda Kilmer, who's our executive business partner, you know, she really runs this company with the focus of making sure everybody's at their best. Sometimes it's taking a day off to recuperate, right? And, you know, I think particularly for folks who either live alone, folks who are parents, right? Doesn't seem like there's a day off ever, right? You're sort of taking care of kids in between meetings and you're trying to teach in between calls. A lot of people who live alone or don't have a support network, they feel like they're suffocating by themselves, right? And so these types of days just allow people to clean sort of day to go work on themselves and to go do whatever it is that'll help them provide some healing energy. So again, I can't say enough about the team on making this happen for all of us at Bond. Fantastic. And we can shift the conversation again a little bit more to Bond's clientele. Curious what types of companies you guys have been working with the most over the past year and a half. Uh, what pain points they typically come to you to try to help solve? That's a great question. So I think where we're moving towards, right, is less so of trying to launch a new neobank, but instead embedding financial products within existing products. So anybody who has a product out there that has high engagement, a lot of returning customers, a lot of like daily, monthly, weekly active users should think about embedding a financial product within their platform, right? And so Companies that are in, for example, gig economy, e-commerce marketplaces, B2B SaaS companies, expense management companies, right? Anywhere where you have people that are coming multiple times per day, per week, per month, right? For a certain task and they find themselves taking payments, right? Should really think about embedding a digital banking product in the middle of that experience, right? What it does is it allows your customer First of all, allows your customer easier activation. So I don't have to connect my bank account, right? 
allows for longer retention, right? Because I'm getting the more value added services. And finally, the data that I get from all of the transactions, all of the usage by having that bank account in the middle of that experience really gives them visibility into future products that they should build, reward networks that they can take on, right? Or just customer experiences that are uh, much more aligned with what they're doing, right? And I think one of the things that we are also focused on is multi-product, multi-bank offering. So you can come to Bond, you can get a checking account from Bond, and you can also apply to, for a credit product from Bond too, let's say in the form of an installment loan, right? I don't know about you, but as probably a lot of people have found themselves downloading data from one bank, putting it into a folder, walking to another bank and showing them that data so that they can get a different product from that bank, right? And I think at the end of the day, we're taking the friction out of that process. We've got multiple banking partners on the back end, and we truly allow the data to flow through the ecosystem to take uh, friction away. So you can take all of your banking data from your debit card experience with us, apply for a credit card or credit line product with us as well with a different banking partner, you would have no idea it was actually two banks serving you, right? And then we provide all of the infrastructure for that. So we're seeing a lot of this type of uh, embedded finance experience. And it's super exciting to see the new experiences that are being built because we're aggregating all of the tools, the banking partners and the technologies for people to consume from. That sounds great. What about the long run goals that you have of Bond? Maybe a product and expansion or just how you envision the future of the company? Yeah, the way that we think about it is we're the AWS for financial products. And I know a lot of people have made those analogies before, but I think if you look at our team, you look at our lineup, you look at our investors, our advisors, I think we're truly positioned to be the AWS for financial products. So anything that you can consume from financial products should be able to consume via developer platform through us. You should have the selection that you need to get to the customer base that you want. And then you should have all of the tooling to help manage those programs. All of those things make us best positioned to being that default de facto financial product offering platform. I mean, I think over the next five or 10 years, what are we going to see? I think two things I think are provocative things that I think is going to happen in the industry. One is people are going to consume financial products more from digital brands than banks. I think that inflection point probably in the very near future. And it's companies like Bond that help facilitate that. I don't think that's a bad thing for banks, right? I think this allows banks to really focus on what they're good at, which is manufacturing product, managing risk, managing KYC processes, fraud, so on and so forth. They are extremely good at that. And it allows brands to do what they're good at too, which is marketing, product experiences, building conversion experiences, and both sides win. I think the second thing is that I don't think that my kids are ever going to step into the bank ever in their lives, right? Quite frankly, I can't remember the last time I stepped into a bank as well. So, you know, I think these two things are really kind of what we see in the future. And I think Bond's going to be a cornerstone to these kind of big monolithic shifts in the fintech industry. Yeah, I have to say, I can't remember the last time I walked into a bank either. Uh, let's zoom out for a second and look at trends in banking as a service or in fintech as a whole. Are there any trends that particularly excite you? Anything that you're looking forward to over the next five to 10 years? Yeah, I think two main themes come up when it comes to big, big themes over the next five to 10 years. I think one is the regulation of fintech 
it's going to be changing. And I have all the faith in the world that the current administration is going to really, really help us in terms of the digital transformation, right? For those of you who don't know, right, fintech, while there's a lot of hype, a lot of noise, I mean, a lot of a clout around fintech, the total market penetration of fintech is actually quite small. It's about, I would say, in aggregate, probably in the order of call it three to 5%. And I think the ability for regulation to play a role in really enabling digital distribution of financial products is going to be something that I think will really accelerate the industry's growth. A couple areas that I can think about are sharing of data. So this is happening over in Europe where we can generalize the use of data from one financial institution to another. That's been something that hasn't existed here in the US, but I do think at some point that's going to change. And it'll only benefit everybody in the ecosystem from consumers to financial institutions. I think it'll actually make the industry safer. The second thing that I think is going to uh, really change the dynamics of the ecosystem is really how do all of these currencies come into play? So Bitcoin has had its run. It's been kind of on a tear during the, during the whole COVID environment. There are other forms of currencies that are coming up. You can almost see every, like, every celebrity is launching their own currency. And I think, look, at some point, these are going to... I don't know if it's going to be you know, how it converts to fiat. I don't know how like, they are going to like, manifest the purchasing power of these digital assets. But I do think that they are going to make up more and more of our daily lives. And it's going to be commonplace for everyone to use some form of digital currency in the future. So those are a couple of things that I think are going to be really, really exciting to watch over the next five or 10 years. Uh, you mentioned the uh, regulation in Europe. I think you're hinting at like, the open banking regulation. Are you hoping yeah. that the government provides more clear guidelines on uh, open APIs or is it something else that you think would be? Yeah, this is an interesting point, right? Because I feel like in Europe, they have the regulation the technology isn't there to fully activate it, right? I feel like here in the States, people are really doing like really, really cool things around digital identity, tokenizing data so that it's safer, but also more portable, right? But I just don't think that our regulation is, is caught up to those phenomenon, right? So yes, you're absolutely right in terms of open banking. I think if banking data was accessible in a safe and secure way that could be ported across multiple different financial institutions, it's going to benefit the consumer, because it takes friction out of the ecosystem, it gives them access where they might not have access to it. For the financial institutions, it's actually going to be safer because you can triangulate risk when it occurs, as opposed to not being able to tell fraud is occurring on multiple financial institutions due to lack of ability to share data. Right. So I think these things obviously need time to adjust for everybody in the ecosystem, including the customers the banks, the financial institutions, and the regulators. But I do think that that's the direction that we're ultimately going to head. And once we get there, it's going to benefit everybody in the ecosystem. Do you have any concern that consumers would be slow to adopt an open banking product because of the data sharing involved? I think that more and more people are feeling more and more comfortable sharing data. And that's actually boosting a lot of the growth in digital financial products. I think Matt Harris had published an article where they said that about 30% of millennials and Gen Xs are willing to share their banking data digitally. And that's about double of what they surveyed. Um, that's about double of what the baby boomers were, right? And so you're going to see this generational shift more and more into people who are more than willing to share 
their financial data digitally, right? And that's going to really help with transformation of digital products and financial services. And why wouldn't you, right? If you look at kind of your daily interactions with technology, right? I wake up, I log into my phone, it does facial recognition, right? I log on to my laptop, it's got my fingertip identification, right? When I log into LinkedIn, Zoom, Google, there's a token of my password that's already saved on the browser, right? And so it's a matter of building that trust in terms of financial products. Again, financial products are nothing more than data and making data ubiquitous and, and safe and, and simple to access across multiple platforms is going to benefit the consumer. It's going to benefit the banks and financial institutions. It's going to make it easier and safer for everyone to transact. All right. Now we're entering my favorite part of the session, the rapid fire section. So we're hoping to keep answers roughly 10 seconds or less, <laughs> if possible. Okay. Ready? Let's do it. First question is a selfish question. What was the most rewarding class you took at Wharton? My most rewarding class at Wharton was uh, Professor Ulrich's class on entrepreneurship. It really forced us to build something. Very confined time, very confined uh, budget. We'll add it to the list. What is your favorite B2C fintech product that you use? Favorite B2C fintech product is the SoFi app. Near and dear to my heart. Six or seven products you can access with your fingertip. Absolutely amazing platform. Favorite business book? Favorite business book. I would say Jocko Willing's book, Extreme Ownership. I would say it's 50% business, 50% self-help, but uh, 100% useful. Favorite movie? Wow. Favorite movie. Pulp Fiction. Nice. <laughs> you have the poster, the iconic poster? Absolutely. Oh, nice. Absolutely. It's rolled up somewhere. I have it, yeah. And last question, a hidden talent of yours most people don't know about. What is something that most people don't know about? I was a competitive Muay Thai fighter for about 10 years and used to show up to the office with iced up shoulders and black eyes and bruised noses and things like that. <laughs> Got it. That's, that's awesome. Impressive. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a good one to end it on. So Jan, thank you so much for joining us today. Really great having you on the podcast. Just really enjoyed myself. Thank you again. Yeah, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much for doing this. And thank you for bringing such an amazing platform to the Wharton community. I think this is such an awesome thing that you all are doing. So thank you. Pleasure to be here. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton FinTech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Medium, and Twitter at Warden Fintech. There you will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. I would also like to thank our editor, Raphael Austria, for his incredible work on our episodes. Signing off, I'm your host, Anirudh Singh.